0: This is Greg Sistero, and you are listening to My Movies Better. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. You see that left hook My, My movie. Better. What is it? I don't even know what it's called. What is it called? Kevin
1: Dillon. You ready? Son of a bitch. Are
0: you are trying to tell me that I can dodge bullets. The wrong
2: side of the river.
0: I'm Michael George. Yeah. Stop it. Get some help. Tony
2: Moto. The table had the president's daughter in the
0: old bean factory off the 101. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Too bad you will die. This spirit is despicable. <laughs> we movie. I need something to distract me. Then we please turn on a movie. My movie. <laughs> Billy What's-His-Name show. So I've he's the one.
1: Welcome to episode 29. Of My baby's I'm Kevin. Tain. I'm Dylan. And this week we are talking about anime, even though it's not May anymore. <laughs> but who gives a shit? Watch that one yeah. a little bit. Nah, it's all good. Fuck it. It's always anime. Honestly, sometimes I need a break from this stuff. So like, it was nice to like have some time to work on this one. Yeah, in the time you watched literally every one of those Right, yeah, pretty much, pretty much, I did. Uh, Actually, today I watched, or yesterday I watched Totoro, which meant I did watch all of them, except for The Wind Rises, but we will be covering that soon, as we'll mention a little bit later. But this week, we covered the films of Hayao Miyazaki, and in particular, his three films, Porco Rosso, Spirited Away, and Ponyo on a Cliff which also have different, cooler Japanese names, which you'll learn later if you keep listening. Um, But before we get to the esteemed god of animation and his films, I want to uh, mention this week's weird movie of the week. It's a doozy. It is a doozy. It is called The Spirit of 76. And I uh, came across this, I believe, on Reddit while I was just you know, scrolling through. Doing Reddit things. Mm-hmm. It is a 1990 American comedy film and a spoof of American culture of the 1970s. It was elected, directed by Lucas Reiner. Um, so that's Rob Reiner's brother and Carl Reiner's other son. And it stars David Cassidy from the Partridge family, Leif Garrett from like being a like teen pop star, Carl Reiner, Rob Reiner, Olivia Diabo, and the rock groups Red Cross and Devo. Hell yeah, big Devo guy. Yeah. Um, Roman Coppola, who is the son of Francis Ford Coppola, co-wrote the script with Lucas Reiner and produced the film, and his sister Sophia designed the era costumes used for the piece. Lucas Reiner wrote and directed the film, and his father, Carl Reiner, and brother, Rob Reiner, both also had appearances in tiny bit parts. Um, as well as Tommy Chong, who appeared in a scene in a head shop. I mean, because what else is Tommy yeah, Chong going to do? But He's getting typecast. Yeah, exactly. Dies. Weed humor. And Moon Zappa, Frank Zappa's daughter, and the uh, famous singer in the song Valley Girl, had a cameo as an archetypal Zodiac aficionado. Fitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this movie is really fucking strange. It's like a time travel movie. Um, it takes place in the year 2176. <laughs> Who picks <Yeah>. that? <laughs> well, because like, think about it, like 1770. Oh yeah,
3: the spirit know? of 76. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot the Whoa. name. Of this. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. we bringing right. ties
1: back. So a uh, magnetic, magnetic storm had to all recorded history, uh, causing so like the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence have been lost. Right, so then you have these three time travelers whose names are all like slightly off brands. Like So you have Adam 11 instead of Adam 12. That's David Cassidy. You have Chanel 6 instead of Chanel number 5, Olivia Diabo. And Heinz 57 played by Jeff Hoyle instead of Heinz Ketchup. <laughs> so they get sent back to July 4th, 1776 to retrieve America's heritage. But Due to an unnoticed time machine malfunction, they end up in nineteen seventy-six. Oh my god. When Steely Dan was on top of the charts. Dude, still.
3: Sorry to interrupt this really quick. I saw and met Skunk Baxter last Holy night shit. Yep. Me and Sam Hill did. It was awesome. Where? I'm so glad you said Steely Dan. They played at the Cabot. It was oh, awesome. That makes it sense. It was him and one of the dudes from Boston. They did big tributes to Dr. John. Oh uh, yeah, Doctor John. Dr. John to
1: date this podcast forever. Yeah, right. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, we got a picture. Yeah. He
3: looks ridiculous, dude. I bet. <laughs> I bet he does. Oh my god, the skunk. The skunk. But
1: so yeah, pledge. it's 1976, when the skunk was at the height of his powers <laughs> uh, during the United States bicentennial. Obviously, also. Um, so they are then pursued by a guy named Rodney Snodgrass who is a science whiz and UFO buff who thinks they are aliens and plans to use them to win the Bicentennial Science Fair Prize at his high school. It also stars Leif Garrett. As I said, he plays a disco dancing brother, Eddie Trojan, uh, the brother of Rodney Snodgrass. But I don't know what has a la- different last name. Maybe that's something that we'll find out if we watch the movie. Oh, my God. Uh, and he he goes after Chanel Number 6 because he's obviously... I was about to Teenager. <laughs> um, and yeah, then there's also some other teenage friends who are the guys from Red Cross. And I guess it's a Devo's in it somewhere, too, but it didn't say where. I
3: hope they're just
1: performing. That That's what I would hope, too. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the, so then eventually they return with the copy of the Constitution, which is printed on a T-shirt that they got at the Bicentennial. And I'm just like... Who printed, like, an exact copy of the Constitution that, like, has all the, like, all the words on it?
3: Yeah, yeah. just selling them outside of the yeah. White House. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. Such a small font just on the entire front and back of the T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> the
1: so, guy's like, I gotta so, have this. <laughs> <laughs> so, side note, the reason why I really brought this up is mainly because I was super excited about the fact that this was a movie that had Leaf Garrett and David Cassidy. Uh, mainly because back in the day, in the WWF, there was this tag team called the Rockers, and Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty were the tag team, right? And Shawn Michaels turned on Marty, and he kicked him in the face and threw him through a plate glass window mm-hmm. in a barber shop That's right, in an interview in a barber shop Holy and, shit. And, and uh, broke up the team. And so then Shawn went on to become probably a recognizable... Uh, probably one of the most recognizable wrestlers in the world and someone that you might even know even if you don't know anything about wrestling. And uh, Marty Jannetty went on to become the term for who's the bad one in the tag team who doesn't become famous. They call them, who's the they, people say, who's the Marty Jannetty of that tag team, you know? Right. So uh, after that, they added uh, a wrestler who would later become Al Snow to that tag team. And his name was Leaf. Cassidy which is just a terrible in 1996 by the way a terrible reference that uh, really even by 1990 those guys weren't really like uh, big huge names anymore no they were definitely very the very B movie shit going on but um, Vince
3: McMahon's really taking his personal movie fandom to the next level
1: right <laughs> well uh, before we go any further let me take you back like Vince would say. Um, And let's take a little bit of a look at uh, Porco Rosso before we get into it.
0: solitary rose blooms in a secret garden
1: that's my favorite line from a screenplay i wrote
0: mr curtis why are you trespassing in my garden
2: i have something special to show you
0: it's from hollywood
2: we would love to produce it and we'll consider you for the lead the script's title is The Rose of the Adriatic.
0: That sounds wonderful.
2: Really? Then it's settled. Gina, come to Hollywood with me. I've got great aspirations. I'm
0: already a big celebrity as a pilot. Soon I'll be a Hollywood star, and then. There's more? The President! What? <laughs> What's so funny? I'm serious. Don't you want to be the first lady? Gina? Hmm. I find your humility very charming.
2: So you'll come with me?
0: No, I can't. I have a long-standing bet going here. I bet myself that if a certain man comes to visit me when I'm out here in my garden, then the two of us will fall in love. But that fool only comes to my restaurant at night. He never stops and shows his face in the daylight.
1: Kurenai no a.k.a. Porco Rosso, a.k.a. Crimson Pig, is a 1992 Japanese animated comedy adventure film. It has a 94-minute runtime, and it was rated PG. It is based on the Hayao Miyazaki three-part watercolor manga, Hikotekai Jidai, The Age of the Flying Boat. And as all films tonight are, it was written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. The film stars the voices of Suchiro Moriyama, Tokiko Kato, Akemi Okamura, and Akiko Atsuka in Japanese, and Michael Keaton, Kimberly Williams-Paisley, Carrie Il- Elwes, Susan Egan, and Everybody Loves Raymond's Brad Garrett in English. The dude. And as well as all the other movies, Tonight, the music was done by Joe Hisaishi.
3: Uh, we got a couple taglines for each of these. They're all... I think each of them have like maybe one or two, and Mm. they're pretty straightforward and dope. Uh, (laughs) Two of them for this one, we got from the acclaimed director Hayao Miyazaki, which is
1: pretty straightforward. Not really a tagline. No, it's kind of a
3: fact. Yeah, (laughs) it's not really a tagline. Yeah, it
1: is a selling point though. So yeah,
3: I mean, once you tag the word acclaimed Mm. into it, it makes people want to see it. There is an
1: episode where we covered. uh, It was I think. I think it was the Street Fighter. No, it was Twelve Rounds. Oh Tr- yeah, Twelve yeah. Rounds had the poster that was like from the producer of Die Hard Two, oh, <laughs> and yeah. yeah, just super specific. <laughs> right. And like and someone was... walks by and they're
3: like, I kind of like Die Hard right. Two. Yeah. That's pretty good. Exactly. Maybe I'll see this." Unlikely. <laughs> 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 uh, we got one more tagline. It is Freedom, Flight, and Adventure, exactly. which I feel like summarizes the movie pretty pretty well. Um, the budget was. Uh pretty okay size, I'd say. It was like nine point two million US. It was US right there. And its box office uh in Japan was uh five point two uh five point four billion yen, which is does that translate to five uh, 50, million fifty million US? Yeah, yeah. And then it raised like a half a million dollars throughout other countries yeah. or so.
1: And it is ninety five percent British. Yeah, so this movie was actually, for a time, the highest-grossing film in Japanese history. Wow. Um, yeah, and it was actually replaced by Miyazaki films. <laughs> Miyazaki's the list of highest—in Japan, I'm saying. The highest-grossing films in Japan, that list is dominated by he's him. He's just breaking he has his own records. Yeah. He's like the James Holzhauer yep, on you know, yep. Jeopardy, where he he's, just keeps setting yeah, the Yeah, he's record. the king of Japan.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> So the critics also agree, and they're pretty—they're pretty nice to him in general online. Uh, I did find some stuff that people, you know, where people didn't like it, um, but for the most part, like it seemed like they just didn't like Japanese animation in general, and that that was kind of what their dig was at it. Um, it is ninety ninety-five percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Tim Brayton of Antagony XC says that a pretty great adventure movie can rest comfortably alongside a strange tale of identity and morality. Is proof enough that we're in the hands of a master storyteller. Yeah, that's great. And John Larson from Larson on Film says has a carefree sensibility that belies its underlying consideration of things like love, loss and warfare. I think that's a really good one because uh, that's really the it's such a it is so carefree that you kinda forget that this movie takes place right before Nazi Europe, basically. <laughs> I mean, Italy has literally already been taken over by Mussolini in this film, but the film acts, like, very sunny towards... Yeah, it's super quirky. Yeah, it just ignores all that part of what's going on. Um,
3: But it does set you in a in a nice plot Oh yeah, where you know what the underlying situation is, even though they're going light on it.
1: Right. The audience score is a little less. It's 87%. Um, For the most part, I don't quite see why that is um yeah i feel like that's kind of i don't want to say that's rare
3: because it's not really rare but i feel like for movies like this the audience score tends to be higher well sometimes critical score.
1: sometimes i actually find it the opposite with his movies because a lot of people just critics he's a critical darling i think he's a dazzler and a lot of his films are really like dazzling to watch absolutely and so i think people like because i definitely if you want to like get into if you want to break it down and really get into it there are a lot of his movies have you know some stuff you could debate about there's a lot of controversy in some of the plot lines and stuff as we're going to talk about later mm-hmm. with all of these films um, that i think the critics ignore that because they're so mystified by how beautiful and how good the movies these movies are like opium they make you feel fucking yeah. fantastic when you watch <laughs> them they literally even there's very little sadness to them and most of it is joy obviously as we were talking off the air ponio is like the uh, epitome of that but you yeah, might not
3: have a pulse if you don't think yeah, that is yeah like light-hearted and just, wholesome and pleasant you
1: just come away feeling good from uh, pretty much all of his films I absolutely think. So. This movie was released on July 18th, 1992. Um, the same day as Honey I Blew Up the Kid, A Stranger Among Us, and Man Trouble. Um, so Honey some, I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah, Honey I Blew Fuck. Up the Kid. Some other movies that were released around this day are Death Becomes Her, A League of Their Own, yeah. Mo Money, and the 1992 Captain America. Who was that? Nobody. The 1992 Cas it was okay. just like a terrible movie. All right. I'll give you an idea. It was labeled as a theatrical release that made zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so oh I don't my know God. I don't know what that means. Oh what the fuck I don't know what that means. Oh um, man.
3: Um good music though that came out around this time. Yeah uh one of my jams in the US, the top song at the time, was Baby Got yeah. Back.
1: I swear to God, I'm not gonna play that skit. <laughs> nor nor or anything because everybody always plays that skit. Yeah, we don't need to yeah, do that. But um,
3: no, in the UK it was uh, "Ain't No Doubt" by uh, Jimmy Neal.
1: Um, okay, that is sorry. Every time I do a UK thing, I make a joke. Like to myself, I'm like, it's gonna be like, and I'll just say some like random b- song title by like some name that sounds like Jimmy Nail. Yeah. So when I read this, and song, it I, just always is- I was like, is this even real? Like, I just
3: think it's funny that like a song like Baby Got Back is hot in the US and the UK. Right. You're like, no, 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 that is disgusting. Jimmy Nail. We like <laughs> Jimmy. We like Nail. Jimmy Nail. <laughs> Uh, the song that was really the fucking jam at that time, though, which is an absolute jam. "End of the Road" by Boys to Men. Oh yeah, the
1: classic breakup
3: song. Oh yeah, but, it <laughs> makes me yeah. feel things. It is. It's a good song, man. They a lot really... of Boys to Men songs. Yeah, are... them in like 112 are just like feel city
1: Yeah, all day. oh totally. <laughs> I can just see him wearing those sweaters. Yeah, and they're like they're doing that thing where they're like. They're like gripping their hands in front of them when they sing. Yeah. Like it's so <laughs> powerful. Oh man. And that to I mean, like for real, those guys have really great voices. And they it, do. That song is really powerful in the sense that, like Miyazaki's films, it disarms you. And if you're in the right emotional state, it's gonna fucking take you down a oh, peg, absolutely. and you're gonna be like, "Oh damn it, I made fun of end of the road, but now it's." Got I've seen me. people <laughs> cry
3: to Boys to Men songs on multiple occasions. Exactly. <laughs>
1: the video for that, I think, is their most classic video too, because it's like, like I said, that's where I was thinking of the sweaters and stuff. Yeah, it's all of them like breaking up with like different girls in the video, and then like them just sitting there singing about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like man. Me and the boys. Thinking <laughs> about our breakups. You gotta go watch that video if
3: you haven't seen it right. for some Definitely. reason. Definitely.
1: Girl, I'm here for you. All those times at night when you just heard me and just ran out with that other fella. Baby, I knew about it. I just didn't care. ha ha ha. So, uh, in video games, yeah. we have some fun ones this week. In June, the graphics adventure Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis was released by LucasArts. July 29th, Echo the Dolphin was first released. The first in the Echo series for the Sega Genesis or so, yeah. the Master System. And on August 27th, Nintendo released Super Mario Kart the very first in the Mario Kart series and uh, basically creating the mascot go-kart subgenre of racing games in the process which it's so funny to think that that is actually a thing when like none of them except for Diddy Kong Racing is like even worth mentioning but there's right. so many yeah. there's like a crash, hey, cr- crash team racing, yep. is, crash pretty team racing is pretty good yeah but dude, there's a lot more than that. Once I started oh, to yeah. look it up, I was like, holy crap. I, I got
3: one at GameZone in Salem one time that was a Cartoon Network one. Yep, there's Cartoon like, Network
1: yeah. one. There was a uh, Disney one, I'm pretty sure. Yep. And and then in Japan, there was just even more. Like obviously, there was probably like a I'm pretty sure there's like a Dynasty Warriors type one oh, or something. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. So just cart racing went crazy in nineteen ninety-two. Um, so uh Porco Rosso is film about a pig man. <laughs> uh in man pig it is it is my pick this week uh is one of my favorite uh right behind kiki's delivery service is my number 2 favorite of his movies uh it's probably the last one that i saw except for ponyo because ponyo hadn't come out yet um but once i saw it i was immediately like oh shit this is a really different miyazaki film it's way more adult but still has the carefree sensibility, as we kind of mentioned before, and uh, feels, like, really, really fun to watch even now. Yeah. And it's, so, so, like, it's more like an adventure action movie, I think, than most of them. So it's funny. Like, I always say, like, I don't like his action movies because I'm not really a big fan of Mononoke. But I this is, like, my favorite, and it's probably one of his more action-based
3: movies. Yeah. Um, we were talking about it the other day, and I was kind of surprised that it maintained a PG rating. Even though, at the same time, there's nothing too adult-y going meh. on, other than its thematics and how there's pretty much no children driving the story. It's all adults, yep. and it's about, like, yep. war conflicts and love. The only thing I thought was a bit much for a PG was the fight scene at towards the end. When like, I think in the water.
1: Yeah, I think it's also it's the um the way that that scene is framed in the movie is in a very comical fashion and I yeah. think that really helps. It's very it's obviously they get really beat up, but there's not like a lot of like blood to it. It kind of like the the thing about Miyazaki that I always mention is that the stakes are always really low in Miyazaki films um and like you never feel like like you you you're, it's kind of like a Disney movie and i think that's why disney so closely associates themselves with it and it's a perfect fit in that way we're like, you're never worried when you're watching 101 Dalmatians that, like, the Dalmatians are actually going to die. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I the, felt that
3: way when, like, Porco's, like, planes going yeah, down.
1: There's no like, way Porco's going to die. Any
3: other movie, like, a plane going right. down and crashing like, could they, be a pretty fucking dramatic scene. Right, right.
1: <laughs> they might, like, fake that stuff to, like, mess with your head. Yeah. And, and, you know, or to give you a succinct plot. But I just think that, if, for the most part, his movies are... Maybe it's... I think it's because it's an adult protagonist. Because it's the same thing... I don't want to talk too much about it because hopefully eventually we're going to do an episode on it. Um, but The Wind Rises is similar in this way, too. Because you have an adult protagonist, the 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 stakes are different. Um, Howl's Moving Castle, I think you could say that, too. The stakes are different because it's an adult character. So, like, when it's a child, I'm like, they're not going to kill a kid. This isn't that type of movie. Yeah. But when it's an adult in an animated movie, I'm like might kill the adult Mm -hmm. you know like so so and that's why i think like mononoke does work as an action movie because like you're actually worried that like something could happen to ashitaka or or the or or mononoke because like they're not just children they're they're now adults and they've entered the realm of like movie you're gonna die ability yeah exactly um and i don't. i think that while he is too he's a pretty subdued director. He isn't afraid to pull punches. He does have characters die in 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 his films, yeah you know, it's albeit not like rare, it's but of, yeah. Yeah. Um What did you what did you think about this movie?
3: Um well, that my like I just brought it up would be my first big takeaway of it is that it's interesting to see um cuz it's one of his that I hadn't seen before. So, it's cool to follow a movie like that that is not totally centered around children. Not that there's a, a problem or a qualm with that. Obviously, mm-hmm. I picked Ponyo, right. so <laughs> like I clearly don't mind a, a childish movie. But um, there's just a lot of really fascinating real-life themes, a lot of war problems, a lot of very blatant political issues that are totally. kind of brought up in that movie. And I think they're handled in a super lighthearted way that i think we i mean we've talked about this with tons of movies that we've watched in the past couple weeks where you can watch it almost in two totally different eyes where you can watch it as this sort of like facade of a love story and like your typical resolution of not knowing if he falls if he ends up with the girl or not or what happens but then you could also look at it for
1: what it really is and it's like pre-nazi yeah (laughs) well i also think it's it's funny you bring that up because one of the most interesting things i think about the way the film plays out and ends is that um it's it feels like a uh, episodic like he's a um a serial character you know what i mean like a movie serial character or a cartoon character or um you know he's like the simpsons yep every week he comes back and it's a willy won't they with him and gina yeah you never yeah. find out like that's the and i so i feel like and that's something that's like I, I really like boil it down to like a sherlock holmes type archetype where you're always gonna have sherlock and watson and lestrade and this cast of characters that is in every version of sherlock holmes that you'll ever read or ever see or whatever and every week they go on an adventure and then the adventure ends and by the end of the, the adventure, everything gets back to normal, but you never really go further as characters. You're established as characters. So it makes Porco feel like one of those it's classic like 1930s type characters. Yeah. You know?
3: I um I think it was one of the first times in a Miyazaki film that I've seen that I with your given uh protagonist or your given main character, I don't want to necessarily make it a protagonist or an antagonist or anything. Um, it's one of the only ones that I can think of that you, I personally liked. And then there were points where I'm like, wait, do we like this guy? Yeah. And then, then you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, you do. Whereas at the beginning, he's just this really cool bounty hunter pilot dude. And then he goes to get his plane fixed. And then you're like, okay, now he's doing like the, I'm, I'm just me. I do what I want. I do my thing. Like, women can't do this. It doesn't right, make sense. Right. And you're like, well, this guy... Kind of a dick. Right. <laughs> well, and he, a has a,
1: he has a traditional sense where he's trying to protect everybody. It's the same problem that he has with Gina. Yep. He's trying to protect Gina from him and, and everybody else to an extension. I think that's always such a right. funny complex of well, a like, character. Look at, look at how it, when Theo is sleeping, he drops his guard and he takes that wall down and he turns back into Marco. Until she mentions that he wakes up and is like, Marco and he immediately snaps, yeah, back. Like snaps right back into it. Same thing at the end of the movie when she kisses him and then the plane flies away Yeah, and, and you, and you don't the guys see like it, wait your right. face. Curtis is like, yeah, he, Curtis, he Curtis sees him change and, and, but then it leaves you with them. Just they go off and they, they go back to having their adventures, you know? Right. And I think that that's what made this makes it like a really just, it fits. I, I actually said to you when we were talking about it earlier, like he feels like a Bogart type character or something Absolutely. something like just, like, a classic character where at the end of Casablanca, you know, Rick and and the, the French captain, they go off and they say, okay, well, let's go have a drink. And f- the camera leaves and they go on with their lives. And, You're right, right. And, you know, Elsa goes on with her life and stuff. And, like, I think that that's what's really interesting is that where they start in the movie is where they end in the movie. Yeah, I really adore you know? the ending of that yeah.
3: where it really – it doesn't – write anything off for certain for you you right. go you go into well, it like you said you go into it knowing basically what you
1: knew at the beginning and it doesn't need to to have a clear-cut romantic like end to the romantic storyline or whatever no to, that would be kind to, of
3: weird if but, you, but they end that with just Well, telling i mean you, you could
1: see the movie ending with him like turning back into marco and then it's like and him and gina are together gina. that's how yeah, most yeah. of these movies would end right you know? They break the, like Theo finds out how to break the curse, and he goes on and he lives his life. But like, the, I think what's what's so interesting is w- about Miyazaki, is, and one of the reasons why he is so acclaimed is that he's really good at like eschewing those sort of things by going even more traditionalist, and he's going back to like his childhood of stuff he watched, and and pulling from that more than like how films are made nowadays, which is right. why these critics fucking love these movies because it's like, they're yeah, like yes, rooted in tradition. yeah, yeah. yeah like, like, yes, I had to watch Tokyo story a billion times for <laughs> film school. Yes. I'll, you know, it's oh, so like, so like they, they, they're more attuned to these films. And I, and so I understand why the critics and, and why film people love them so much. They're very classic. Right. And I think this one definitely is the, the swashbuckling adventure classic movie. Um, and it hits all the right notes. You even have your your Errol Flynn type character, uh, who's you know also kind of a shout out to Ronald Reagan, who you know uh, Curtis wanting to be the president of the United States oh, after becoming yeah. an actor and stuff. Yeah, true. And Something I actually odd. love Curtis. Curtis is one of my favorite Miyazaki characters. Uh, to use a wrestling terminology, Curtis isn't a villain. Curtis is a tweener.
2: Tonight, some controversial remarks from Triple H concerning the
1: Royal Rumble match this Sunday. And we're just hoping to get your comments and what Triple H had to say. What? I was hoping to get your comments. What? I was hoping to get your comments, what? I
0: was hoping to get your comments and what Triple H said. What? To. You want my comments? What? You want my comments
2: about what Triple H says? What? Is that what you're asking me? What? Speak
0: up, hold the microphone so I can talk.
2: Okay.
1: It's, it, he's so lovably dumb that like there's part of me and maybe it's because I am an American. I think that might be a little bit of it. I'm kind it's it's like the same reason why people hooted and hollered for Stone Cold is why I kind of like Curtis is because it's like that's American. You're, yes, yes, Miyazaki, you created a real American yeah, character. Yeah, cut and dry yeah, American he like dude. He, ta- he, he, he takes what he wants, he does what he wants. He's not really evil, he's just more like, I'm doing this and yeah, I'm going to be better than you. you very know? self-driven. And I love how at the end of the film, they stand there as equals. Even though, you know, you know, Porco is yeah, definitely the winner and he respects that, but they respect each other. Right. Like, It's not a villain situation. When you really think about it, the only real villains in this whole movie are the people who have no honor, and they're the fascists. Right. So, like, all the fascists, they look almost exactly the same, the way they're drawn. Some of them, you don't even see their faces. They just blend into the background, like the guys who are trying to shoot at them when when he's leaving in the plane. Oh, right, 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 yeah. All the other characters who are antagonistic towards porco the other pirates yeah the mama have, they have honor they don't attack him because they have the honor for gina at her restaurant you know what i mean they listen to fio and they decide because based on her telling them look if you are the most honorable people as seaplane seaplane pirates you have to do this this way you know and like i think that that it, it, it's what i said to you when you asked me like about what i you know what it it's like about, and I was like, it's about honor as currency in a time when that was really a thing. And looking back at a time when like, you know, a time that I think a lot of movies like to look back at when men were men, they'll say, but when they say that, they really mean that like when, when honor meant something, you know, and that's the thing you, you typically see this in Westerns a lot when it's like your name and your reputation in a time of war mean way more than anything else. And so like you have these people who are put up in certain circumstances and like Porco, his name means something his reputation means something, and he doesn't want that to get destroyed. same thing with Curtis he all he wants to do is beat Porco at a race. yeah it really. doesn't matter yeah. how he's not trying to kill him he just wants to beat him and be the the number one seaplane pilot you know so like it's 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 uh and even he has honor so like he's immediately attracted to Porco not as a typical villain and he doesn't try to like do anything, I think that it I mean, he is more villainous in the sense that he's not doesn't have as much honor as Porco and he shoots him down and shit like that. I was that, gonna say I know? think
3: once he realizes Porco's alive, then he becomes right, a bit more honorable.
1: Right. right. And he doesn't understand, you know, like what that actually means and Porco does. And so I think when that, that that's really like like what the film is really you know the, the the hardcore theme about it. I think is is mainly honor, yeah, and what that means. I mean, love a little bit too, because I do think that this is also a very romantic Miyazaki movie. Even though it doesn't have like your typical like you know love scenes or like kiss scene or something, like the romance between Gina and Porco is really well done for how small it, how little time it takes up in the actual movie of yeah. them being able to express it to each other the one
3: scene that stuck out like really well for me was the flying over her cat like her mansion yep and porco just putting on an air show for her as a sign of affection right right after she's like
1: if this one guy comes to me in my garden then we'll fall in love yeah yeah it was just really (laughs) captivating
3: it was silent for it was just like just a score playing Mm -hmm. and him flying for a solid like to at least two minutes.
1: Yeah, it feels like that. I yeah, think there's it, like it might one, be shorter. There's like, like, like one line where because Curtis says like Porco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he like basically yeah, yeah, he yeah, he gives yeah. the audience the yes. She's talking about Porco. Right, right Or right. Being like Porco, <laughs> yeah,
3: but it's just really it, that was really nice <laughs> yeah. and captivating, and it was a nice twist from what majority of the like you said. It's in a sense a love story, mm-hmm. but there's borderline no display of that other right, than right. other than why he's doing what he's doing at points. But
1: it was nice to have that one little reminder. Right. Yeah, it's all love displayed by actions. Right. And what the characters are at. You, you see it, you know, and I think that, like, it's like obviously the juxtaposition there where Gina's like literally says, if, you know, I'm not going to go with you, Curtis, because yeah, I'm waiting for puts this the other guy. Fairy tale story. And then Porco flies by and she runs out breathlessly and is like, <gasps> Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm p- like, oh, yeah, it's like, <laughs> Oops.
3: he's like, you're you, you like that pig more. than yeah, me, or whatever. exactly. Like, yep. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that guy. Right.
1: That's the one you're talking about. Right. Um, so this film was originally planned as a short in flight film for Japan Airlines. And you're going to find this as a theme that comes up with Miyazaki a lot, where a small project <laughs> turns into something gigantic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it, so he already had a manga called The Age of the Flying Boat. Um, and it had a bunch of different little like vignettes in it. And this was one of them. Um, so eventually this turned into a feature length film because he realized how into airplanes he was all of a sudden he was like, Oh yeah, I love airplanes. We're just going to make a movie about this. (laughs) Um, and strangely enough, right around the same time, this film takes place basically in the islands off of Yugoslavia. So like that area of the Mediterranean in between, uh, you know Yugoslavia, Croatia, that area, and Italy. Uh, so the, there was the outbreak of the war there happened right as they were making this film, and uh, but the airline remained a major investor, and actually it was shown as an in-flight film way before it was actually released in theaters. So if you oh, flew, really? yeah, if you wow. flew in Japan Airlines, you would have got to see Porco Rosso* a year or two early. Wow, that's so cool. Yep. And that's why at the beginning it has that text roll that is Uh, in... The typewriter. Yes, it is in Japanese, Italian, Korean, English, Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, Russian, French, and German. So all the big ones, I guess, for the power centers of the world. Right, yeah,
3: true. And I guess that makes sense to have Mm -hmm. it in literally every
1: language if you're being on an (laughs) airline. Right. I also think this film is sort of anti-fascist in ways. Uh, It kind of like insinuates it is from that one line he's like I'd rather be a pig than a fascist and he doesn't want to join up with the Italians uh, though at the same time I kind of disagree with that a little bit because of the way that that particular friend of his Ferrari is portrayed in the movie as like just a good guy doing his job and I kind of am like nah, no no that's not what the fascists in Italy or, or Germany were doing you know and I wish the juxtaposition was made a little bit clearer. Maybe they weren't still as good friends. It was like, I get it. It's like an in for Porco. He has like a guy on the inside. who can help him out. But like that was the clear distinction between them is that Porco is is an honorable person. He won't ever stoop to those levels, but like Ferrari will, but he's still kind of presented as an honorable guy.
3: Yeah, I mean, they kind of have pretty cool conversations
1: about that quickly when he's buying the guns
3: and that little store and the kid says like, I'm not starting a war. I'm like a bounty hunter or whatever. He asks, what's the difference between being a bounty hunter
1: and like being at war? Exactly. That's a pretty good point about it. Um, so I don't think I I would just say, I just don't think the film is anti-fascist as much as it is. Uh, it's again about honor and about what that actually means. And so like in a way it can use, it uses anti-fascism a little bit to achieve those means. But like, the fact that, like, the fascists in it are never really presented as any credible threat whatsoever. Like, they can't stop him when he goes into Milan. He just openly walks past them, barely disguising himself. Yeah. <laughs> they can't stop him when he leaves. They try, and he just shoots at them and doesn't even try to kill them. Like, he, like, makes fools of them. Yeah. And then at the end, everybody gets away when they go to break up the big party. So, like, literally... the. The, it, to me, that's why it can't be anti-fascist. They're not ever a credible anything in the movie. They're just kind of like, oh, they're the power structure. It brings structure. them up because yeah.
3: they're what was actually around right. at that point. It makes sense think that of, they're involved in the plot.
1: Think of this movie as a pirate movie because that's what it really is. I
3: felt like that the whole mm-hmm. time. I didn't even really think about it that politically.
1: The, the 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 British or the Spanish. They're the crown. They're the imperials. They're they're just like the the cops basically right, who right. are always there. They're ever present. But these guys are the criminals who operate and are too smart for them. You know what I mean? So the, yeah. they, they're That's why I don't think it can be considered anti-fascist. It's like they're not. Re- they're the Keystone cops. They're not really like that's kind of a, a stretch to me, you know, yeah, I, to, yeah. to go that far with it. I agree. Um, though. And I also think, like I said, since the war broke out, they kind of it became more of a uh, difficult and complicated film, he said in an interview. Um, and I also think that you could, it'd be better to think of a film like this. Uh, there's a thing in Japan called Wakan Yosai, which means Japanese spirit, Western techniques. Um, and it is a tendency for artists, Japanese artists, to paint Europe as spectacular while simultaneously maintaining the distance necessary to preserve a distinct, d- d- a distinct sense of Japanese identity um so in Porco Rosso Europe is tamed rendered as a charming site of pleasurable consumption made distant and viewed through a tourist gaze and that came from the academic Chris Wood um and I think so that is a way better way of looking at it it's kind of like how I mean I mentioned Casablanca earlier that's a great example a great um uh Another film that kind of is similar to that, Mm -hmm. in the sense that it looks at Europe, pre-war Europe, with a tourist gaze. Like, the Nazis in Casablanca are the Keystone cops. Yeah, they're not a credible threat.
3: No, they're not. You know what
1: I mean? Um, And and the even the or the French authorities and the Nazis. You know, so like I think that that's another interesting thing there that it looks at obviously this Western world but from a very Japanese eye. And there you go with that whole love and honor thing. Mm-hmm. And Porco being like almost like sort of a samurai Ronin type character who's like lost his direction and sense, but he has not lost his honor. He's just like Ramoni Kenshin or fucking yeah. samurai shampoo <laughs> or any of those samurai stuff. And it's great. Yeah. And it makes sense that that theme carries mm-hmm. into. So before we finish tonight, i also like to go through a little bit of all the plain... Stuff in this movie. This movie makes sense that there's a lot of plane stuff. Yeah, he loves planes. He loves aviation. He's made lots of movies about it and lots of movies that feature it. And in fact, I'm going to just mention it now. Uh, My favorite thing about Ponyo is how there's no planes in Ponyo until the very end. And then there's every fucking flying (laughs) thing he could possibly get in there. It is like. There's helicopters and planes and shit Yeah, like, everywhere. finally gets to the end of yeah. the
3: movie. Couldn't get any, and he's like... And I, was like ah! and I was like...
1: It's like you made this whole movie about boats, and then at the end, planes. Yeah, he's like, planes I had are the to answer. fucking do it. I had to fucking but do it, But it's like they came... The planes saved the day. He's like, planes are the answer, everyone. But so uh, this movie is the most heavily plane movie. It is like planes as hot rod cars almost yeah uh, yeah P- Porco's particular plane looks fucking sick. oh hell yeah and it looks me? badass. it has that big engine on it and stuff um so in the movie, there's tons of plane stuff, like uh Piccolo, the guy who created his his new plane or fixed his plane, Fio's grandfather. He is a reference to kind of a mixture between cap uh, and Paggio, who were two Italian aircraft manufacturers um and the jet. That is shown in the last scene is very similar to the uh, Caproni C-22J, which was an aircraft designed by Carlo Ferrarin, whose name is obviously very close to uh, Porco's Air Force friend, who is also perhaps inspired by an Italian Air Force pilot, uh, Arturo Ferrarin, who flew uh, from Rome to Tokyo in 1920. And additionally, the Capriconi or the, I'm sorry, the Caproni CA 309 light reconnaissance aircraft is known under the name Ghibli, which is obviously the name of Miyazaki's uh, animation studio. Mm-hmm. And while in the Piccolo engine shop, you may notice the engine that is being put into his plane is named the Ghibli. Um, and it is a narrow angle V12 engine, similar to racing engines of the period. And it's going on from there. The character of Curtis is likely to have named after American aviation pioneer Glenn Hammond Curtis and they're basically all the planes from this time were Curtis Wright planes yeah um, right as in the Wright brothers and Curtis's airplane itself is a Curtis R uh, R3c which was built for the 1925 Schneider Cup which is also referenced in the film. And his character, as I said earlier, is also a reference to Ronald oh, Reagan. Oh, yeah, does mention that. <laughs> Finally, the last plain thing was Marco Paggio himself, which is the name of the main character, but it was actually changed in the first American dub and then changed back in the Disney dub. So it is Marco Paggio. <laughs> uh, that is a homage to the Pagio brothers, pioneers of Italian animation, um, who were the authors of the first Italian animated feature film, The Dynamite Brothers, and his sons Marco and G. Pagio Paggio were Miyazaki's collaborators in the production of one of my favorite pieces of entertainment ever, Sherlock Hound. Hold on. Jesus Christ. We need to talk about Sherlock Hound real quick. Sherlock Hound is fucking awesome animated, Italian-Japanese animated television series based on Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, and it was a series where all of the characters were depicted as anthropomorphic dogs, of course, dogs, yep. And <laughs> it also had a bunch of Jules Verne steampunk style technology. And like, so, like it had like a nineteenth century science fiction atmosphere. Um, it was never renewed for a second season after twenty six episodes because of problems with the Sir Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle estate. And, Fuck. yeah, it's awesome. It's really fun. It's like, it's like cheap Miyazaki, right? I've know? heard of
3: it, and this reminded me of it. I've still never seen it.
1: Well, like it, it has all the the tenets of his work, and it looks like his work just just done on a different animation, a smaller scale. You right. know, um, it is really cool. I really, really highly suggest it. Um, so yeah, and that's all really I had to say about Porco yeah i think think Um, we can land
3: right there we can land that plane exactly exactly (laughs) oh
1: wait there was one last thing i do have to mention one of my favorite things from miyazaki movies are the little swarms of characters that he has like the dust bunnies that we're about to mention in Spirited away and totoro um my favorite version of that character are the little girls from the beginning of this movie. Oh
3: yeah, yeah they, they get like are, kidnapped. They're yeah, hilarious. They are like
1: some of my favorite characters They ever created. They're basically a group of little ponios running around. Um, they're super cute. They the pirates like are overwhelmed by them and actually seem to be like happy when the girls go. Right, and, right. And and that's my favorite part is when they're like all driving away with Porco and they're like bye. bye. Yeah, the pirates <laughs> are, like waving bye to them. So cute,
3: so good. Uh, I guess I have one last thing to say yeah, too say it. would be um Porco's little hideout island thing it's one of the coolest settings I've ever seen yeah. in anything yep. animated. Once again, just
1: conceptually, it's so cool. Yeah, and it fits into that whole, like, Robin Hood, Sherlock Holmes style. Of totally. Character. Like, he has the perfect hideaway. Right. He um, has the perfect like, plane. super, yeah. like,
3: introverted. And All like, the
1: girls want him. He's the best. Yeah, and he just um, wants to go sit yeah. on a beach and
3: smoke cigs.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and, and And, like, his honor to Gina literally means that when he's gone through a knockdown drag out slobber knocker of a fucking fight at the end of the movie he still gets up before the 10 count um i I just wanted to mention that the, the final fight of the movie is one of my favorite Miyazaki scenes of all time the whole crowd and everything the energy yeah I love how it just it as soon
3: as they hit the water it just quickly turns like they get the chairs out of nowhere it's you know, like the corner coaches yeah, <laughs> it,
1: it keeps becoming more and more of a match like, yeah eventually, at first it's just a fight it's just a fight <laughs> and then eventually there's a ref and there's like stand. there's like stands there's yeah, like bleachers. Yeah. I just oh think God, the chairs in
3: the water for the corners so is good. So, so funny it's so good well that yeah that was, that was a fantastic movie and I'm glad you picked it
1: Alright, so we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll come back with Spirited Away.
0: Quand nous chanterons le temps de séries, she fleura bien mu le mer le Mais il est bien court le temps de séries pour l'ensemble Come in. (gasps) I was wondering if you could give me a job. (laughs) I don't want to hear such a stupid request. You're just a stinking useless weakling, and this is certainly no place for humans. It's a bathhouse for the spirits, it's where they come to replenish themselves. And you humans always make a mess of things, like your parents who gobbled up the food of the spirits like pigs. They got what they deserved, and you should be punished too. You could be a piglet, or maybe you'd prefer a lump of coal.
1: (laughs) So I'm going to start this one with a quote as well. Uh, as we did with one of them last week, the quote is: "She isn't cute. Isn't there something we can do?" <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki on Sen, aka Chihiro. Oh my god! Yeah, Spirited Away, what the fuck? Aka <laughs> Sen to Chihiro no Kamikakushi, Kamikakushi. Uh, Sen and Chihiro Spiriting Away is a 2001 Japanese animated coming-of-age fantasy film. It is 120 minutes long, and originally he wanted it to be even longer. Um, and it is rated PG. It is written and directed again by Hayao Miyazaki and animated. By Studio Ghibli, yeah, and just I like if you did the music, right? Well, yeah, I can just jump right to that because it's Joe H- again, uh, with one of my favorite scores. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, just like Akira last week, this is a collaboration between a bunch of studios. So Takuma Shoten, Nippon Television Network, Buena Vista Home Entertainment, Mitsubishi, and distributed by Toho. So this is like a bunch of studios in. in companies coming together makes a lot of sense that this is his like biggest most popular probably most well-known maybe other than mononoke or right up there with it films um because yeah, it, I, it had, had a lot of backing
3: yeah and i said it to you uh fair before but i think this is like com- obviously it, it is probably the most commercially popular one but yeah. I feel like anytime yeah. you're talking about, like we, t- I think we mentioned it last week when we were talking about Akira, but mm-hmm. it was like that and Spirited Away yeah. always
1: are the first two things I hear when people talk right. about, like. Yeah. Spoiler alert! Movies. To this day, it is the highest-grossing Japanese film, and highest-grossing film in Japan of all time. Yeah. So it is number one. It is. It is his most successful. Yeah, film. that's what he <laughs> beat the
3: record of the last movie we were right. talking about. Hell
1: yeah! Boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the film stars Rumi Hiragi. Mio Irino, Mari Natsuki, and Takeshi Naito. And a rarity for Miyazaki English dubs, not a huge name actor cast. Uh, John Ratzenberger from Cheers and Toy Story. Cliff Clavid.
0: So Cliff's a thimble. Yes. I'm the race car.
1: Uh, what do you want to be, you no? Know? I'll be the lead pipe, I guess. <laughs> I don't remember any lead pipe in the offer. Or this Chinese checker or these these Candyland children. What is this? Yeah. It's probably the most mainstream actor in the cast, but it does feature um Susan Egan, who uh, was the voice of Gina in Porco Rosso. So she's doing double duty this week for Miyazaki. Um, and she is the voice of Lin or Rin. Oh yeah, yeah.
3: So one tagline for this one. And I I think this is probably my favorite. For some reason, my favorite of, the, like, the three movie taglines we got right now. Uh, it is, the tunnel led Chihiro to a mysterious town. It did. It fucking did, bro. It, did. it fucking did. <laughs> um, the budget is uh, small, I believe, smaller than uh I think so. I could yeah, be wrong. Was, I think it, it was. It was, I believe you're right. It's yeah. weird. Okay, so, so yeah. uh, it was uh, a little bit cheaper than Porcarosa for cost of production. was at 1.9 billion yen. And um, in the box office, it made 30.8 billion yen. And worldwide, it made 331.4 million dollars,
1: U.S., approximately. Yes. (laughs) So it did very, very well. It also won an Academy Award. uh, Which is huge. 2002, yep. Um, And actually, it won way 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 more uh than that it is probably his most highly acclaimed film like worldwide as well right if you just want to hear you can see it from sitting over there i just brought this up on wikipedia where is it there we go see all this green yeah, oh my god yeah out of all this stuff only three things that it was nominated for it didn't win that's crazy yeah what are those uh, it did not win Best Writing at the Saturn Awards or Best Music at the Saturn Awards or uh, Best Film Not in the English Language at the BAFTAs. Oh, well, fuck them. Yeah, but it, it won everything else. That's insane, So man. it is, yeah, highly, highly acclaimed movie. That's um, crazy. Some good stuff came out, yeah. too. So uh, some other movies released on this day in uh, 2001 were America's Sweethearts, Ghost World... And a movie that I hope to cover soon when we do cover musical films. <laughs> Hedwig and the Angry Inch.
2: Heart.
0: Burns. Dry. You dream. Or a song. That hits you so hard. Filling you up.
1: Uh, Some other movies from this month, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, Cats and Dogs, Scary Movie 2, The Planet of the Apes remake, Jurassic Park 3, and Satoshi Kon's Millennium Actress was first shown at the Fantasia Film Festival. It wouldn't actually come out in Japan or America for another year or two, but this was when it was first shown, so...
3: is is that Cats and Dogs movie that, like, kids won where the cats and dogs where are, the like, cats are, like, are evil like and... agents and yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Got yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I totally great. forgot that movie existed, and I just got a yeah. weird flashback to be a kid. I know, right? Flashback. I was like, wow. I, I thought so it was a strange. pretty good one. Yeah, I remember it being pretty fun. Um, as for music at that point, another... Goddamn jam in the United States from our boy yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh You Remind Me by
1: oh, Usher. Dude, this one, this is like him full on copying R. Kelly pretty much, but he does it so well in this Hell yeah, song. It is such a great... Usher's fucking, so infectious. The fucking... Because honestly, every time I hear the beginning of this song, I immediately... Think of R. Kelly because of that like Pied Piper thing, yeah, and then yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh right, this is good. It's Usher. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I didn't Thank have that, you know, have another one where I was like, fuck R. Kelly. Yeah, well, no, this is an anti-R. Uh, yeah, podcast. it definitely has that Pied Piper, <laughs> Pied Piper of R and B feel oh, too. It.
3: Yeah, it totally does. Um, in the UK, it was uh, that Robbie Williams little sweet thing, uh, Eternity and the Road to Mandalay.
1: Yeah. If you Another right, fucking time where the UK another, is picking the yeah, total
3: no. opposite. Yeah, they're
1: like, "No, we're picking an English guy." Yeah, we don't want to listen to Usher. <laughs> you got to check out the video for this fucking song. Oh, it is God. it is ridiculous. Robbie Williams was like he's like totally a lad. I don't know if if like, you know, listeners if you know anything about lad culture in England, but basically it's just like jocks, bros, you know, whatever. Um and so he's kind of like He's got, like, a wife beater on a lot in this. He's got, you know, spike gel hair and a little fucking uh, goatee soul patch things going on. Like Hell, yeah. It's, it's very strange. It's, like, one of those things where he's, like, a... It's, like, boy bands that, like, have, like, a guy who looks like... He literally looks like he's going to, like, cut you in a bar. You know what I mean? Like, he, he Robbie Williams looks like he could fight. Like, I, I'm, not, he's not... I mean, maybe it's just... He's got a craggy face or something, you know? But, like but like it he doesn't look like a boy band guy but he's like doing all that like i don't know it's so weird looks it's like a like,
3: dude from like some
1: 41 yeah he looks like <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that he's like it's like this tough guy thing but the video is fucking hilarious to me the song's awful um it's not as definitely not as good as you remind me by Usher no I'm our boy so in video games uh in this year so in may the 7th annual And I just put this one in here Because that's funny Thinking about how long of a time It's been since Spirited Away came out 7th annual E3 Wow um, Yeah So they probably had like Fucking Like Quake 2 Oh, Yeah what the hell It says <laughs> 2001 know. It was 2001 So like um, That'd
3: be like Is that too early for like Halo
1: Yeah a Little uh, ooh, Right around there I don't there. even want to think about that Right around there Yeah <laughs> Right around there June, uh, in June of that year, Sonic the Hedgehog celebrated its 10th anniversary. Woohoo! Wow, think of how far that series hasn't come in yeah. years since, right? <laughs> that was like, think of how like positive they still were about Sonic the Hedgehog back then. Oh my god, I know. At Sega. Um, and uh, Sony cooperates with AOL to incorporate internet features with a PlayStation 2 console, which include a browser, email, and instant messaging capabilities. Something now which is like standard And I would be, and I'm surprised when game consoles don't have it, Nintendo Switch, and like it's or it's weirdly hidden or something, you know? Yeah, Nintendo Switch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was like all that cool, fun stuff that happened this week. Not a lot of like I'm finding with this. I always want to like bring up like stuff that happened in the news, but there's not a whole lot that ever seems to happen on the days when these movies came. Right? Yeah. Um, but overall, this one is definitely like, I mean, it was the group pick and it made sense because this is definitely his, his most uh, acclaimed, popular, and I think, I'm just going to say, I think it's his best, and I'll even kind of agree his most overrated film, but I think when people say it's overrated, it's like, you're missing the point. Like, this really is, it's like, Akira is the best anime, people say. Because it is something that is unrivaled, it's like a champ. It's like come come out and do something better, and that's what Spirited Away is for Miyazaki. It's like he, it's it's the top of what he can achieve, and because of the amount of uh, of time and effort that the studio, it's like the culmination of everything Ghibli had done, culminated in this piece. Yeah, that know? is the pinnacle of right. his filmography. And like I personally think Howl's Moving Castle is a more pretty looking film but that's also a computer generated animation film and the thing about spirited away and mononoke and especially his earlier films which are completely hand-drawn uh that's so interesting is that they get really try to not go that route they try to be you know completely hand-drawn with a few minutes here and there where they use you know computer animation to to touch something up or to make something look cooler or whatever you know
3: yeah I feel like that's probably in those like flower scenes,
1: like yeah, running through the flowers, because that's I think very intricate. Um, I can't remember. I read about which ones it was. I don't think I put them in here though. But right, it, it was uh in in Mononoke. It was actually something that was like surprising, and I think it was uh one of the like the scenes, the horseback scenes or something. Okay. Uh, well, elk back, I guess in that yeah, movie. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the, it, there's there's like minutes here and there where usually for some like big set piece, they they used it. And maybe in Spirit Away it was when the um, it was the water spirit scene, the the stink spirit slash oh, river spirit scene, yep. uh, where they used it. But but it's it's tries to be a completely hand drawn film. And in fact, which we'll talk about in the next uh, film, Ponyo went completely in that direction. To go back to like 100% hand drawn, which uh, I like the most. I actually think his most aesthetically pleasing film is Totoro. Um, That's my favorite like palette. That's my favorite color. And I also think it just it's so beautiful, and the amount of like technical expertise that goes into that is is astounding yeah it's basically you know? a perfect piece to
3: flaunt what you got right you know right it's like this is what we do we are the best at mm-hmm. it exactly Come, like you said with Acura, it's like do better try right it, right know? and
1: spirited away i just think is again the 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 top of what you can achieve in that and it's my real introduction Miyazaki as well. Oh, it was my yeah. first one that I saw. Um, and so I've always kind of like, comp- I feel like I always compared every other film to it right. that I saw of his because it, it was the first one I Which saw.
3: Which I feel saw. like is borderline unfair to yourself at some points too. It's what
1: you do with any but Exactly. It's like impossible to right.
3: not do that when you take the, like the antithesis of right. their career. How do you not compare everything else they do to it? Exactly. Because there are points where it, it's a borderline perfect like at at brass tacks it's like a a perfect movie oh yeah
1: oh yeah um it it's gorgeous and colorful and and all those things that you can always say about Miyazaki movies but I also think and we talked about this a little bit off uh the podcast I think that the, the the thing that's most important about it is the the heroine Chihiro being so different from typical Miyazaki characters she's less headstrong less driven Led, more clumsy like there, there's not this like perfection to her like say Nasca yeah, or something say, like, you Nasca know? is like the yeah.
3: perfect heroine Exactly, everything
1: just flows in her and
3: direction and she's doing these
1: effortless flips onto fucking yeah. shit in the middle of the air you know. whereas Chihiro takes so many bumps break
0: out the dollar and take a bump pick out the seeds and split the blunt. if you want
1: to get Jihiro's just constantly, like, falling and smacking. Yeah, falling down stairs where... and almost dying, you know? <laughs> like
3: Yeah, to get where she ends up, she has a serious yep. uh, character transformation. Right. It's really pleasant to watch, and it's not just a given. Like, characters like Theo and Porco Rosso, where she's just this genius, builds a perfect plane, all of a sudden is the perfect, like, mm-hmm. cruiseman, you mm-hmm. know? All of a sudden convinces everybody. Everything she does is perfect and right. flawless. You basically spend... Uh, a hundred of the 124 minutes <laughs> of um of Spirited Away, watching her like cultivate to this this perfectionist right, person right. that she's nowhere near at the
1: beginning. Well, and like so, we talked about honor with Porco Rosso. So I think the one word uh way of talking about Spirited Away for a big theme is growth, because it's not just about growing up, though that is a big theme for her, but it's also about the growth. Of characters, and like so, another big theme that we talked about a little bit in the last movie was uh, how like Miyazaki doesn't have a lot of like straight up villains. They're they're like doing things for a reason, you know. Even if it's an evil spirit, even if like like uh, for instance, um, the the fire spirit in Howl's Moving Castle, who's like presented as being like a demon but like he's not that type of character, you yeah. know, that you would immediately think when you're a demon. Same thing uh, with the, the mistress of Irontown. She's like a bad guy, but not really. Like she has a reason, she's protecting people. She's, you know, she's trying to live in symbiosis in the only way she knows how. And that's, a, I think, a really common thing you see in a lot of films. So like you see characters in this film growing over time. Like, you know, obviously hero learning to have responsibility, to work, to have a job, all that sort of stuff. Where at the beginning, she's just this like listless kid who just gets to live off the benefits of her parents' money and stuff. And she doesn't ever have to do anything. And now she has to learn how to be like a real member of society and grow up. Uh, Yubaba has to learn to let go of her baby. She has to learn to let people in. Like, No face has to, to change like everybody is growing and becoming a better version of themselves yeah you know? absolutely and uh so really actually it's maybe instead of growth maybe transformation because in the end that's the other thing you're seeing you see the transformation of the river spirit which is like a huge call out to the fact that haku is a river spirit himself who is yeah trained, you know and like um so yeah i think this movie is a lot about transforming And it's all over the place, obviously transforming a uh, abandoned amusement park into a bathhouse for spirits that in the night transforms in this grand place and like all these buildings that are are old and abandoned all of a sudden become full of life and stuff, you know, like so you, you are led through this film and you're seeing it happen all around you the growth and transformation of the characters and so i really think that's like your your major big theme that he's he's going for in this
3: yeah i think you see that with like you said every single character and even down to like her parents mm-hmm. like everyone goes through some sort of transformative right. phase um though it is interesting that
1: with her in the case of her parents
3: it's like a negative it's <laughs> like a well it's like
1: a mirror image yeah when they go in and they go out she, the mother even says the same exact line don't cling to me, I'll trip like, yeah, yeah, yeah she literally repeats herself when they go back out like, yeah it's so... got
3: that it's got that thing that you see in a lot of animated uh, sh- I see it in a lot of animated shows or a lot of animated movies occasionally where the whole the whole plot of everything you watched um, seemingly happens in a, like a minute you know yeah. like the everything that happened in the the pr- presumably weeks yeah. that she's there happens in her parents reality in a, a matter of seconds exactly. you know i just recently watched um over the garden wall oh yeah that's a good like one. <laughs> spoiler alert uh the whole series takes place in a second and it's like the classic like they get they whatever knocked out into this thing and this whole alternate reality becomes a thing and then the series ends with them coming to, you yeah. know, and I feel like that's how, but I I like how they actually showed that time had passed in Spirited Away, where like they go back to the car right. and, and it's, it's all overgrown and, and dusty. And dusty yep. Yeah. Um. So that was cool that they actually put reality to it and not just like, oh, it's time right. to leave and they drive off.
1: Well, I think what's really important is that like we have to remember, we haven't really mentioned it a lot because first movie didn't really delve as deeply into it even though it was based in fairy tale, this movie is all 100% fairy tale. Um, and and again, he loves to turn those fairy tales on their heads into different uh, in a different w- look at them in a different way right. um, So like in this film, when you when you look at like her growth as a character, that's also going to inspire the growth in her parents. And I think that's, what's like so important about the, what she's learned is that like, it's not her parents didn't need to learn anything. It was Chihiro who needed to learn. And so like when the, when the film starts, right. And she's Mm -hmm. like this shit kid. And as it goes on, she becomes a, a full person. She becomes fully realized her parents haven't. And they're still part of this like capitalistic world. And but she has learned that like that stuff isn't what's really important in life. And I think that that in particular is what is so relatable about this is when you grow to a certain age, your parents have grown to a certain age as well. And they have already left behind these more what they would probably call childish uh, pursuits. Because okay. they're in the pursuit of what they believe is the way to, you know, the way to live, the way they have to survive, you know. So her right. parents have survived on credit cards and cash, you know. Yeah. And now, <laughs> and now they're, they're always going to be that way. Chihiro has learned, though, that, like, that there is a, there is a, um, a price, I guess, to the work that, that, you know, to the money. She's learned how to earn but that, that's not it's still not what's so important to her. You know what I mean? She still rejects No Face's gold. Like she's still pure. So it's like when you get to that age where you realize that like everything's bullshit and you have to join before you become like zombified by by working a job for, for years and years and years. Yeah, like you, realize, right, you know what right. I mean? And so it's like this really great moment in time. It's like, you know, almost it's like preteen. Really, like before you actually become a teenager, when you just like that moment when you its like this movie is about the moment when Shahiro becomes a teenager. Right. Right. You right. Know?
3: And I feel like her uh, her adolescence is infectious to a lot of the other characters throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Like you said, how at the beginning when she's first getting that, obviously, she's clumsy throughout a lot of the whole thing. But uh, she first gets in to the bathhouse and starts working. And specifically that scene where she's... I feel like it's addressed a lot where they're like, what, have you never worked in your life? You've never done this in your life? You've never done this? And uh, she's trying to, like, clean the floor, and everyone's got this big routine going way past her. And throughout the whole first act of the movie, everyone's talking down to her. But then her charm starts to show and wear off onto people. And she's just... All she's doing is being a, a humble like reasonable person who is just a, a bit ignorant right. to the realities she's,
1: of life. So she's completely ignorant, but she's like, the thing is is she's no more ignorant than any other 10 year old kid would be in right, that same right, right. situation. But so like, like you but feel she ends for up being her
3: celebrated by all the people that were, that were talking shit about her being literally just a, another fucking like uh, mooching human basically. Because you know?
1: she proves herself. Right. Right. You know, right. like, like she gets the 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 thing out of you know the bicycle and all the trash. Yeah, out yeah. Of the everything just starts flying and, out. And then you know, Yubaba's like, "You made the bathhouse a lot of money." So like, she like she learns that you know all that stuff. But but I think also what's interesting about it is we were kind of talking about it earlier. It's it's I think it's really an anti like capitalist and consumerist movie because. Um, you know, you have like we said, you have the dad and his Audi and his European style dress and uh, or his Western style dress, and he's very much like not a typical Japanese guy. The not way, at all. yeah, <laughs> and so so like Chihiro's from a very like modernized family, and then you go to the bathhouse and you have this bathhouse that looks super traditionally japanese but yubaba lives in a penthouse that is super traditionally european very lavish and 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 very not japanese you know she's she's it's a facade essentially um and so like i think that then you know obviously chihiro then being forced to work there and being stripped of her name uh, and being her name being turned into, you know, something that is owned and she becomes commoditi- commodified herself. And so, like, it's really also about breaking away from that, because, like, in the end, she frees Haku from that same life of servitude and herself. And so, like, it's interesting to me that, like, I don't quite know what Miyazaki is trying to say in the film, because I feel like there's a lot going on. Cause you have this this thing about growth, but also about not forgetting that like work and stuff like that is is like not the only thing that you need to be free as well. And like yeah,
3: I think I I really like the highlights on remembering who you are. Yeah, as an individual uh, in your in your life in things that are separate from money and in um, consumerism. Just remembering right. like who you are and where you're from. They put a highlight on that multiple times. Totally. Where once they start to really get sucked into the working and the life in the bathhouse, she immediately starts forgetting who she is, what yep. what her name, yep. what her real name was. And that's cool to see them focus on.
1: No, don't forget that. You know that's who you right. are. I will say, uh, my personal feeling on this film has always been that it. Loses a lot of steam in like the final third of the movie the first like starting like starting when basically around around the time she meets up with Zaniba, okay for the first time when she actually the train scene itself is the last really strong scene in the movie for a little while I feel like, and I feel like the whole final third wraps up really quickly. it's just
3: a big it's a quick conclusion parade yeah
1: yeah and it 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 always just but it's weird that it's like it feels like it wraps up quickly and then keeps dragging at parts on its way to wrapping up quickly right like it's like really i i just i've always felt like the final third of the movie is is not as good as the rest of it i'm captivated so much the beginning is fantastic is one of the strongest beginnings in film um just the way it lures you in and then immediately you're thrown into it. And then the it all sec- just escalates right. so quickly right. all of a sudden. The escalation is great. It's really up until the point where, and I think, I, honestly, I think Ponyo struggles from this too. Once the you realize that the stakes have gone from low to nothing, there's still like 20 minutes in the film. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. So like there's not right. a, and I, so while I uh, I like that partially, I also see why like sometimes that it, it's not so much that it's, it's boring, it's that I tune out from it when I, you know, it it's hard I get distracted easily at those parts in the film. Like once once she gets to Zaniba in this movie, usually I start to like tune out a little bit. Right. I have to really be like, "All right, focus, focus," you know. Right,
3: right. I feel like this is a nice counterpoint to what we talked about last time with Akira. Where um, I feel like both of those, both uh, Spirited Away and Akira at points, drag pretty heavily in two wildly different ways. Where, like, the the dragging of Akira is strictly just, like, dialogue driven, like, filler stuff. Whereas, at least with, I I don't want to say that, I would never say that Akira isn't, like, uh, aesthetically captivating because it's a beautiful thing to watch. But Miyazaki movies are just like a like an yeah. eye pleaser. Yeah, they're you know? what
1: like summer feels like watching. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> you
3: know? Yeah. And like so even when it's dragging at points like this, at least you're looking at something gorgeous,
1: you know? True. But I do think that it's also like the the feeling of when a film like this gets too big for its for its own self, and the fact that, like I mentioned earlier, he wanted it to be even longer if it had followed the original plot. So I feel like when somebody does that, and then they cut a bunch of stuff out, just like with Akira, you have kind of a slipshod road to your finale, and it doesn't make the finale feel the same as the rest of the film did. And so I, I kind of think that as as much as that f- the film starts to drag near that point it actually should have been longer and and followed more of the plot so that once it got to its conclusion it was a little bit better i mean i do like how the film concludes i'm fine with it i actually think once you get to the ending it comes back around yeah um but like there is just there's this point and it's it's kind of like the uh it's like the final point of the rising action before the climax in film and I feel like in a lot of stuff, people have trouble with keeping it entertaining. It's like this waiting period. It's like a waiting room for the final battle. Yeah, you know? it
3: is. You're in purgatory for yeah. like a solid. Yeah, and you're like, I get it, but it. couldn't
1: we just skip there? Like, we why do we need this? You yeah. know? If it's gonna be boring, just leave it out and skip. If it's yeah. not gonna be, you know, if it's gonna at least give me something that like adds to it. Um, and I, while I do love this film, I I just think that it's. Porco Rosso, like, never does that to me, and Ponyo does that to me a little bit less. Right. Um, so that would be a, my ma- my biggest, like, knock against this. Right.
3: I mean, I, a part of the ending that I do like, though, aside from the way you get there, is the sort of full circle feeling to it. Um, I feel like in the other two movies, specifically the other two movies we're talking about, um they don't give you that where I'm granted you kind of like you end where you started with Porco Rosso almost, right. but there is a bit more that's up for interpretation mm-hmm. where like we said, you don't know. I mean, you can assume that he
1: ended up with Gina and everything is all fucking peachy keen. But, right.
3: But you don't know that. We
1: also have three, all three of these films have like very different ways of going about that. Like you have uh Porco where it's, the film begins and ends the same with the same you know world basically uh ponyo where the film begins with one thing and then ends with a totally new world yeah and spirited away where chihiro goes to some place and then returns to her world yeah so
3: it. basically what happens at the end
1: of uh
3: spirited away is as if spirited away never happened kind of
1: I, I that's kind what I of kind of think yeah because it could be it could have been a dream yeah you know like she could have she does it, it and she is the only one that knows right But
3: that she's, it happened
1: but she has changed and when she gets back to the car she knows that it did happen like time has gone by so like I think that yeah while while that has you know I think I basically think that yes. time has gone by yeah right yeah and she she has changed and and she understands that yes
3: like we said before the character growth is like growth and transformation i think is this the strongest pull away from this and it's a message that can ring true with pretty much anybody and anything in any situation
1: and how many movies do you know where a little girl falls in love with a river
3: yeah. Dragon, true.
1: A river dragon. River dragon. <laughs> river, river dragon, dragon dude. spirit. River Man, dragon boy. <laughs> yeah. I, that's another thing that I kind of like, kind of dislike. I, I, I want to know, what do you feel about the fact that like it has the big full circle moment of, oh, I remember you're the Kohaku, Kohaku River and you saved me when I was a little girl.
3: I think it's weird that she remembered that. Yeah, you I know? think it's
1: too much that he, that it was like she, they, he like saved her life. Yeah. I, I think, think it would have been okay strange. if it was just like, oh, I grew up in Kohaku or like I lived near there. I know you. Like, right. I right. know the river. Like it, that was all you needed. I feel yeah. like it was a little much be like, like oh, oh and she, yeah, <laughs> she fell in the river <laughs> and the dragon saved her. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, again, fairy tales, so it makes sense true, that that's the true. connection there. But like, like what the fuck? The, they, the reason why they had the immediate connection or something. Right, know? yeah. He's like, I feel um, like I know you. So the themes of this film are heavily influenced by Japanese Shinto Buddhist folklore. Um, and, and also yokai, which is another thing that uh, he's super into and is in a lot of his films. And it... It's kind of a hard thing to explain. I'd almost like say, like if you have a chance right now, Google Yokai because it'd be easier than me giving you a definition if you just kind of looked at some of them. It's kind of like demons, it's kind of ghosts. It can also be occurrences um so like it's a little bit confusing, <laughs> but like have you ever heard of a Kappa? No, okay, so it's like a Japanese like water dragon type thing it's okay. like a it's it's more like a a turtle frog man sort of thing but Fuck like yeah. basically it's like fo- it's folklore characters you know so like it's it's hard to like d- d- give you a definition of what a yokai is because like it can be a thing it can also be like a thing that happens like so it could be like, like there's yokai that are like you know demons but there's also like a yokai that is like an occurrence that happens that is blamed on a demon. Okay. Right? So, like, but a lot of the characters in this are definitely like influenced by that sort of folklore um dude i just looked up pictures of uh yeah. kappa it's real weird <laughs> yeah they are weird they, <laughs> they, they make a lot of appearances in anime
3: yeah i'm seeing a lot of pictures that are like yep. clearly from anime they stuff. are
1: also an enemy in the earlier legend of zelda games that became the zora um, oh okay that, yeah. yeah that makes sense yeah so uh, the central location of the film is a Japanese bathhouse, as we said, and there's so you have lots of other folklore creatures, including kami, which is basically like Japanese spirits, Japanese gods. Um, and uh, there's also a part where he, there's a part where he cited the solstice rituals in the credits um, for when villagers call forth local kami and invite them to their baths. He, like, put it in the credits.
3: What? Yeah. he, <laughs> is he
1: Which is, I don't know, it's like he believes it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know, there's a connection there. Um, so Miyazaki said, In my grandparents' time, it was believed that kami existed everywhere. In trees, rivers, insects, wells, anything. My generation does not believe this, but I like the idea that we should all treasure everything because spirits might exist there. We should treasure everything because there is a kind of life to everything.
3: Oh, that's pleasant. Yeah.
1: The film has also been conf- uh, compared to Alice in Wonderland, obviously. Yeah, I mean, um, they fucking do, duh. Yeah, they do have pretty, <laughs> pretty... I would say they have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that this is... You know, I. I it, it's hard for me to to talk about this film because I think that it's been over-talked about. And so like, I don't want to get into too, too much about like everything about how great it is because it is a really great film. It's a beautiful film, but it's, I don't think it's the best measure of his work. You know, I think that he has, there's a bunch of other films that I would show to somebody first now, having seen all his films that I think is a better representation of what he does. Probably number one is Totoro, even though that's not my favorite. Like, I think it's the best introduction to what a Miyazaki movie is
3: yeah I guess it, it's it's pretty audience depending because it is like the most western
1: yeah well, movie that it this has movies really moody it's like moodiness <laughs> as as plot at some points and <laughs> it is it, yeah you know even the color scheme of it is moody you know it has this like He's like lots of in the lighting is fantastic It the light. Work oh, yeah, it's really But it has this moody lighting. Everything's really like you just feel kind of like, I don't know. It always makes me feel kind of drained when I watch it. So
3: it's a big watch. Yeah, you know, there's a yeah, lot it is, to take
1: in. It is the longest one this week. Yeah. And, and I think one of his longer one of the longest of his films.
3: Yeah, so. I think I I think it's a good launching pad for people who might not be familiar with this stuff. Yeah, and I could see Totoro being a potentially better one, but I just think this has so many common themes that it just is the perfect option.
1: Yeah, it kind of feels like the center of all his work.
3: Yeah, like I said earlier, so. I think it's like the pinnacle of right. of everything that he's done or could do, you know? It, right, it's, right. Like, it's like this would be the center, the <laughs> centrifuge of it all, and... All the other things are kind of like they an orb, an orb
1: yeah. of stuff they, closer yeah. they or they far lead, away. They lead to it or derivative of it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about Gake no Eoponyo on the cliff by the sea. <laughs> <laughs> my boy. Oh,
3: <laughs> well, my girl, I guess. <laughs>
0: Mom, a goldfish. I saved her. She sure is pretty. Don't worry, I'll take good care of you. I think I'll call her Ponyo. I'm busy. You're not busy. You're fine. I am too. I have a job. Ponyo, 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 fishy in the sea. Tiny little fishy.
1: Kake no Ue no Ponyo, literally Ponyo on the Cliff, or Ponyo, which is initially titled in English but released in Asia as Ponyo on a Cliff by the Sea, is a 2008 Japanese animated fantasy film. It is 101 minutes long and it is rated G. Is
3: that <laughs> his uh, lightest rating?
1: His lightest rating? Yes. Yeah. I think it's one. I think Kiki might be G too. Oh, okay. I'm not sure though. And uh, Totoro might be as well. Uh, It is written and directed by Heo Miyazaki. Oh,
3: who did the music?
1: Joe Hisaishi, (laughs) again. And it stars the voices of Tomoko Yamaguchi, Kazushige Nagashimi, Yuki Yuki Amami, and George Takoro. And the English voice class includes Tina Fey, Matt Matt Damon, Kate Blanchett. Noah Cyrus, Frankie Jonas, Liam Neeson, Betty White, Cloris Leachman, and Lily Tomlin.
3: Crazy. Yeah. Um, this I take back what I said before about um, the Spirited Away tagline being my favorite because I think this is my favorite one. Uh, it is, welcome to a world where anything is possible. Ooh, ah. It's just so wholesome and lighthearted. I really like that. A fish
1: um, can be a girl.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> Literally. The ocean can turn into a bunch of jellybean-looking yeah. fish and destroy it's a city with cool. no consequences. <laughs> Anything is possible. <laughs> um, the budget, uh, again, more than... that's. I guess that's so weird to me that the budget for this is higher than the budget for Spirited Away. That's very weird. Um, it is 3.4 billion yen, which is 34 million U.S., And in the box office, it grossed $201.8
1: million. Yeah, it did pretty good. Yeah, that's a good haul. There was only one film released that day, The Storm Rider. I don't know what that's all about, but I kind of think it's about Nazis. And maybe not in a good way. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. No, probably not. I hope Uh, not. The same month, though, we had uh, such cinematic classics as Space Chimps, The Dark Knight, Hellboy 2, Hancock, and Stepbrother. Oh, so some classics.
3: Yeah. Hancock. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Drunk Will Smith superhero <laughs> shit. Hell this, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, no, this week's research kept making me laugh because it was more recent. And I was like, oh man, that's like not that long ago. Yeah, and then I was like, oh wait, yeah, it is. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, music, uh, not as much of a jam in the U.S. as the previous ones, but... Uh, I kissed a girl by Katy Perry was yeah. the hit song. You Not know, yet, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a little louder for the people in back. Not at her uh, kissing a girl, mind you, <laughs> at Katy Perry. <laughs> Ugh, at She's Katy all ben. over the damn place. But girls can kiss whatever. girls.
1: That's totally fine. Like, Who gives yep. a shit? She got a new. She got a new <laughs> song.
3: Not too bad. Let's be honest here. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that though. Um, and in the UK, another time where. Third, three in a row where they're like, "No, America, nope." They gave ain't it, it to Dizzy. That ain't it. They gave it to Dizzy Rascal with "Dance with Me."
1: Yeah, that also featured like Calvin Harris or somebody.
3: Yeah, name. I'm pretty sure Calvin Harris produced that because oh, yeah. he's a stud. That's um, when
1: poor Dizzy went mainstream. Very sad.
3: I guess so, yeah. It's just an an happy time. But.
1: Not like the grime days.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh my god.
3: Uh, But our anthem of this year was Low by uh, the WWE's favorite rapper, (laughs) Flowrider. Yes. (laughs) Whose name is. Always funny to me <laughs> To yeah, look I at Yeah, yeah,
1: right uh, Low with, rider. with
3: T-Pain well, T-Pain's a legend That song's T-Pain. a jam It is a good that song That song's yeah. a jam yeah. Apple I bottom put, jeans I
1: had to put on WWE's favorite rapper Because that was Famously what Tony Chimmel Said when he introduced well, He didn't say rapper But it, when Tony Chimmel introduced uh, Limp Bizkit at WrestleMania, he was like, WWE's favorite band. <laughs> oh, there's, there's like wrestlers who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute.
3: Dude. Whoa, whoa, hold on. I'm a wrestler. Yeah, I'm, more,
1: I'm more into Megadeth, probably, <laughs> those guys. Uh, oh, my God. So the vi- video games, Mario Super Sluggers was released on the same day as this movie. Super fun game. Yeah, Totally. Mario playing baseball.
3: Yeah, I, as a lover of Mario and baseball, yeah. this hit home. So for me. there's
1: also a Mario soccer game. Yeah, strikers. There's also a Mario basketball game for Also, the Nintendo tennis. 3DS. Well, yeah, tennis too. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about the rare ones. There's oh, a Mario 3 on 3 basketball game. For oh, the yeah, I forgot that. It's so good. <laughs> it's kind of bad, but it's pretty good too. Uh, but two thousand eight was the year of the Wii console, and I like was reading about it, and I was like, "Holy shit, we like did really well in in like one like every category of like sales and stuff over PlayStation and Xbox." Really, that
3: year. It makes yeah. sense. That thing was it was totally revolutionary for gaming. Yeah,
1: I think the number one game of the year was like the Wii fucking like, like Wii Sports. No, it wasn't Wii, but it was like that like like combo pack thing oh, that you got yeah, that yeah, had yeah. like. The Wii Suite in it and like right, Wii right. Sports and shit.
3: Wii Sports. I still to this day play Wii Sports at people's houses. Yeah, it is it's so like, fun.
1: It's like a, in a just a part of American culture now. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't actually have one, but I do have a Wii U kicking around somewhere. Actually, yeah, like I think that. it's right there. Yeah, it is. Oh, I just, welcome to my house. There's just video game consoles yeah. lying. <laughs> <laughs> uncharged on oh fucking my God. the uncharged. edge of the yeah. <laughs> There it is. Covered a in dead dust. dead Wii U. <laughs> yeah. I just sent a picture of that to Nintendo. Look what you did. So, you made me useless. <laughs> yeah. So to round out our, our one-word themes for tonight, this movie is all about joy. Complete, 100% unbridled, childish destructive, dangerous joy. It's so pleasant. Yeah. It's like when a big guy hugs you and he hugs you too hard and you're like, okay, big guy, and then you realize that the big guy is about to crush you. Yeah. But yeah.
3: the big guy is like crying tears yeah. of joy. And he's like the whole time. And he's though.
1: like slow witted or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like a it's like Letty from Right, yeah. From it's it's and he's un- just, unknowingly and strong. Yeah, and you're the you're the girl that he kills at the <laughs> oh, end. Oh god. Dude. Spoiler alert yeah. for, for any of you guys who haven't read of Vice and Men yet. Um but yeah, this movie is all about joy, it's all about fun. Almost no conflict happens. What does happen is so brief and is even like it's like it's like a movie where like literally a point happens where a little kid is sad, but a parental a parental figure has already told you, the audience, that everything is okay. So the parents in the audience could relay to the kids that everything's cool, Panio is just under a spell, she's not dead, like it's so, it's so five-year-old.
3: Oh, absolutely. It totally
1: captures that. And I mean all that in like, as a positive thing, because that's the intention of the film. So like, you did it. And absolutely nailed it's the very G-rating. It's very unique for, to see a film like this. Um, so this film is obviously The Little Mermaid. It is inspired by the, the Hans Christian Andersen story, at least. Um, but Miyazaki said his inspiration was more abstract than that. Uh, so they, w- their, but their main goal, as we've mentioned a couple times tonight, was to use traditional animation entirely in Ponyo. Um, and this is a flex on animation, dude. It yeah.
3: totally is. There are so many scenes in this that are, I don't want to say over the top because I love them and they're so aesthetically pleasing. But specifically with a lot of the ocean transformation scenes mm-hmm. or when Ponyo's mom first shows up, everything that's happening is so surreal. It's so much in such a small like space. It's so detailed. I, yep. I can't even imagine all of that yep. being it, just hand-drawn. That's him exactly. just being like, come at me, bro. Exactly. This is what yep. we're doing.
1: Yeah, so a few of the movies, had, as we mentioned, had used CGI previously. Um but actually, the whole computer graphics section of the studio closed before Ponyo was made. And it's because, not like, because like they closed it because they wanted to focus on, on hand drawn animation only. And uh, Miyazaki himself was heavily involved with it. He drew a bunch of the sea and the waves himself. That's and so cool. uh, yeah, the, f- the level of detailed drawing present in the film resulted in uh, 170,000 separate images, which is a record for a Miyazaki film.
3: That is yeah. crazy.
1: Yep. And it's, I don't know, it's weird, because I, this one's always really high on my list for his movies. It's uh, always been a favorite of mine since I first saw it. It's also, like, really an emotionally important film to me just for reasons I'm not going to get into that are just, you know, personal reasons with a, uh, an ex-girlfriend and like, so like watching it, it always puts me in a weird mood because of that, because the what the movie's intended to be and what, uh, I get from it, so to speak now because of my own experiences, but it's still really hard not to just be one over By everything about it, you know, there's never a moment where like you feel like a character is is you know evil or mean or or wrong in their actions. It's really like the top of what he does in doing that with characters that we talked about earlier, where like it's not about antagonist protagonist as much as it is about protagonist versus forces that are trying to slow them down for legitimate reasons. You know, I mean, yes, like uh, Liam Neeson, fucking whatever his name is, there, Ponyo's dad, he's wrong, but he has a legitimate reason. Like, right, Ponyo is right. dangerous, you yeah. know? So, like, the film at one point is telling you, like, well, hey, Ponyo should be allowed to go out and do what she wants. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but she's causing the apocalypse to happen because of her unbridled joy and her n- not being able to control her magic and stuff. So, right,
3: yeah, so there's a big consequence for Right, action. right. So you get his end of it.
1: Exactly. He has a real reason, even if you can argue it. It's not like right. they're just the bad guy, and they do things just because they're the bad guy. Yeah,
3: and like you said, it's it's so inconsequential the way the movie plays out. It's just super infectious bliss the whole time. Oh All yeah. the conflicts resolve themselves within a minute of them being presented to you. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to just focus on being drawn in of quirky characters, beautiful animation, yep. and a, a, I'd say a pretty strong story to follow through. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's boring at any points, you know, because no. any time that might be boring is filled with what is some of the most crazy visuals that you can see in a oh film yeah. like this. Oh,
1: yeah. And,. And I actually just don't even think there's anything that's boring about it. I think that the and it's when you craft a film correctly, that doesn't happen. You know, right. like even the moments where the film is slow, they, it, it, it just never paces down. I think that's the other thing about it. It's really feels like it's paced for a younger audience. Um it's it's runtime shows that like i always say 100 minutes pretty much yeah 90 minute movies are the best man 90 minutes you don't need to go longer than that unless it's part two you know (laughs) like and and i mean there are great movies that are epic or that are you know two three hours long but it's it's a very fine art getting getting past that point in a film you know Right, because that's just the the human attention span, and especially with it getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, you know? exactly. You really have to keep stuff going to try
3: and carry cohesion through a story that is going over three hours in film too is so hard. Like the times you can mention movies that are that long are notable. Right, if it's a two and a half hour movie that's one of your favorite movies of all time, that's a very right. noteworthy right. thing.
1: And like, if a movie's not doing it right and it is that long, that can hurt it. Way more than if the film was shorter, you know. Right. And I, again, it's like, you know, directors make their own stylistic choices, and they know more about it than I do. I'm sure, at being directors, but yeah. I can tell. I can tell you what I like to watch and what I as don't. As a, as a, yeah. consumer yeah. of this media, as a watcher you know? of films, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, this one's probably like, probably like my my uh, third or fourth favorite. It's definitely. Um, and honestly all three of these films are like in my top five i they're all really close and near and dear to me uh but this one just it it it's not only the color which is amazing and uh really different i think from all his other films um it's very blue and and like peach pink red and stuff that that feels like very subdued and 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 very, uh, I don't know, just very different from anything I've ever seen. I don't. I feel like when I see the look at this movie, my eyes just are like, ooh, the colors you don't normally see. Yeah, these it, colors, it
3: totally know? is, and they're all super accentuated mm. throughout the whole movie. There's so much blue; it is crazy.
1: Oh, yeah. It almost feels like everything's covered in blue in a way. Yeah, it and, has that uh,
3: sort of tint to it. Yeah. to an extent.
1: Because the other thing I love that I will say about this movie uh, this is the number one Miyazaki location I would want to live in oh yeah this is the place I'd want to go I'd want to live on this island yeah like, um, like it is it's so quaint yet still like is modern you know it it's just it feels like, and he's really good at these, like, tucked away, these hidden spots. Yeah. Like, if I know, could go
3: there and then, like, take a little boat to Porco's right Ida, exactly. I'd be down. He's That'd be the perfect set, place. All all of it. <laughs>
1: it's actually uh, based on a real place. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, like, Tokoruma, I think it's called. And it is in southern Japan. And pictures of it, like, yeah, you can see where he got the idea okay. for it. The, the center of the town has that similar, like, crescent shape yeah. to it. And, and there's, like, a big boat dock and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that that is definitely the number one place I'd want to live in the yeah. Miyazaki <laughs> franchise world. Yeah, I mean, it's world. A,
3: seems like it could be very far away from the bathhouse, yeah. so I'm cool with that.
1: Well, in ri- initially it was Totoro. It was the Totoro house. Oh really? So yeah, because that one's also another place. I, I was like it's again so quaint and beautiful and like relaxing. Yeah. I think that uh like I honestly I in my mind actually I don't normally vocalize this, but when a day actually like today, today was really nice. Probably people who don't live in Danvers, Massachusetts, you missed it. <laughs> but uh it was really didn't nice. happen anywhere yeah, else. It yeah. was just in Danvers. It was like it was like, you know, high seventies, like Little like breeze, sunny, gorgeous out. And uh, in my mind, I'm like, this is a Miyazaki day. It's a day that <laughs> looks like a Miyazaki film, and and I feel like all his films take place at the same time. They always take place like in the summer, and very very particularly the transition of spring into summer, Absolutely. when the world is at its greenest and and the the days are cool but sunny and nice so like you can be outside in regular clothes like it's it's not the extremes it's the perfect weather almost always right you know <laughs> i never even thought yeah, that. yeah and that's one of the things i love about his films like literally i mean we talked about it in the last episode my backgrounds is just revolving miyazaki still frames yeah, actually. yeah. this one's from totoro right here um and it's because they literally are like the the perfect days is it seems like he's such a gr- so great at capturing that and it's like when you look outside and it's like a clear blue sky and it's like green green trees and shit and it's like that's what it makes me think of immediately it's right. his films it's
3: super fucking you know? welcoming
1: and ponyo is actually a little bit different in that way it's like the least green there is a lot of green in it but it's it's definitely way more subdued yeah and it's a way more a lot of blue. blue. Yeah, because yeah. well, eventually blue literally takes over everything. True. You know, yeah, and yeah. Ponyo again causes an apocalypse because she's a 5-year-old girl who's in love with a 5-year-old boy. Yeah. Did we also right.
3: did we uh, did we mention that Ponyo almost literally kills every Yeah, and king? she's a
1: goldfish <laughs> that turns into a human. Uh, this movie also has some of my favorite like lines like uh when Ponyo uh when she's like he he's not a little boy he's so scary yeah like, that is so she, good the way she is written is so great yeah like, I liked
3: when they were hanging out at the house for the first time after she becomes human and sees him on the road and they uh have their uh milk and honey or whatever and then yeah, yeah, yeah. the mom's like well what do you guys want to do next and she's just like i want
2: yeah. ham it's so good like, when yeah. she
1: sees the ham I fucking <laughs> a there's like the elongated scream. yeah she stands yep. up and freak it yep. out it's oh, so, it's so good. good um yeah well because i also yeah we, we were watching we actually watched uh this movie earlier today and uh the scene with the baby is great the baby is fantastic but also really, like, love- he loves you. Yeah, <laughs> it's
3: because the baby just mean like, mugging. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's like, eh, i have a baby. I'm about to cry about <laughs> something." And then, uh, but right before that in the movie, there's another great little scene where she, uh, normally in a film, like so, so she creates basically. Uh, her dad refers to it earlier as like a Cambrian explosion or something. But basically, like all these prehistoric creatures are gonna come out and fucking uh, it happens and all the adults are trapped on the other side of the island and so Ponyo and Sasuke are all alone in the house and that's normally when like the film would like raise the the stakes or at least like feel like more desperate but like no they're just like hey let's stick our heads under the water hey let's make this boat that's what i'm saying like they
3: propose <laughs> like this conflict and you're like for literally 30 seconds you're like wow damn there are two five year olds right. stuck in a house and then she's like I made the boat pig. well it's, <laughs> it's like, like we oh, talked about it.
1: it's like we talked about in the, the, the last episode with the Japanese sensibility of like uh you know the post-war thing of like pick up your your fucking you know britches and get on with your your, your day. And right. Do, you right. know it doesn't matter what's gonna happen to you, just fight through it. And even kids and like that's kind of the world he grew up in. I mean, he grew up during the war, so like he that's a, it's a very different perspective than the boomers. He's still kind of the golden generation where he actually was a kid during the war. He saw the bombing. And and saw the the aftermath of the effect it had on Japan in his most formative years. So, like, that's why I think so many of his child characters are like super independent little kids who like face adversity like, oh, okay this is just happening and I'm going to go with it, you know, because that's what he wants. Yeah. But uh, the other thing I love about that scene is how if you watch, there's a little octopus who sneaks (laughs) into the house at the end of the scene. And I always just loved that he's, like, having to go out here and steal their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Ponyo, uh, again, one of my favorite Miyazakis. Yeah, and, that was uh, that was my pick. Yeah. I
3: think it's very, very pleasant, very welcoming. It is one of his movies that I feel like I could watch. I mean, I guess I could watch them uh, for the ones that I've seen, at least. I admittedly haven't seen them all. But that one I feel like needs no... Needs no reason for watching, you know? Uh,
1: Having watched nine or ten of his movies in the past week, I can unequivocally say I can watch any of his movies at any time, (laughs) pretty much. But I feel (laughs)
3: like there's not, like, with Ponyo, I feel like it's it's so light and inconsequential that other than potentially having, like, an emotional connection to it, um, there is almost no... There's nothing pulling you or pushing you away from watching it. It's just so welcoming. Why wouldn't you?
1: Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, I I. Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'd say that about all those films, though. Yeah. You know, they're all pretty welcoming and warming. And, like, like, we've been kind of repeating over and over again. They don't really ever... They never raise the stakes to the point where, like, it actually uh affects you big you know really deeply like i think there's a lot of stuff where i can't watch certain things when i'm in a certain emotional mood totally you know what i mean like i remember not being able to watch like after i was go through a breakup i wouldn't be able to watch like anything that had to do with like relationship strife even if it like I was already like dating someone else, but if it was like still close to that time, I was like, nope, I yeah, don't even want to. Uncharted th- territory. Yeah, exactly. I do the same with
3: music and stuff too.
1: Yup, because you're like, I'm gonna way. go right back down. Th- <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and think about my situation right. instead of like what's going on in screen. Right. So
3: I guess with all of his things, I feel like there isn't that feeling where there's no, there's not a big sense of uh, massive
1: consequence. Right. And there's always the feeling that there's a clearly defined sense of safety for all the characters and that no one's really a bad person. They're all going to turn around in the end and be good, you know, because that's what happens in all his movies. Like he's never broken that cycle. And Ben, like, well, no, here's a guy who's just evil and they're going to kill everybody. Right, <laughs> like, yeah, <you> know? exactly. <laughs> and then die. The God you makes know? like a
3: Tarantino movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, because even, like, you, you think about Totoro, uh, the whole plot line with uh, her, their mother being sick. And actually, interestingly enough, that was uh, something from Miyazaki's own life. His mother had uh, tuberculosis. Oh, really? Yeah, and died from it. Oh, shit. Um, and I don't remember how old he was, but it was when he was, like, you know, younger maybe a teenager in his early 20s um but so like that whole thing of like the mother life with mom being in the hospital was something he actually like experienced and the way that that is kind of just unresolved but like it's put into a situation it's put it's explained as you would a child it's like yeah i know she's in the hospital but she'll be fine she'll be home again someday like you yeah. know and at the end of the film it's still like that she yeah. doesn't come home, and you're just like, but she will, right? Maybe right, right. so that's that's <laughs> cool know? to have like a real life yeah. tie to it. That's I a mean, film I'd really like to cover someday. So right. hopefully, when we do Miyazaki two, we will cover yeah, two right. in a row. Oh my god, so, so. That's, that's
3: nice that they, I didn't know about that real yeah. life connection. So I wonder if that's uh, Ponyo. I wonder if when he was a kid, he like found a goldfish, and it turned hey, into it a turned girl into a little girl. And, and like, yeah, and then they fell in love. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you know. That's I, don't thing, know, I don't saying, know the history
1: of his love life. We we talked about it a little bit when we were watching it. I also think that that's kind of an interesting way to look at the end of the film, because I think you could debate about what the film is trying to say with like it being like Ponyo is gonna be living with you forever now, and she's you and Sasuke, Ponyo and Sasuke, and it feels a little bit like they're they're being like put into a pre marriage also it kind of feels like she's being adopted yeah and like they're just going to grow up together and they're going to be brother and sister like yeah it's they talk weird. about
3: love they talk about love and i i interpret it loosely
1: yeah it's like I don't an interpret abstract it so much. way of looking at love that like a child would yeah exactly um i don't think you're
3: gonna make a five-year-old and a goldfish have like a romantic right
1: life? right what is it even real? What if she's a goldfish the whole time? Right. Yeah. And like Jesus. he just grows up one day and gets sick of her. Yeah, like Toy Story
3: kind yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> So uh yeah, I mean, I guess we're kind of running uh, up to the end of it now. So uh we could just roll right into it. What is uh what do you think what do you think the best movie this week oh, was? Oh Jesus.
3: Yeah. Oh god. Um I think that oh man this is hard they're all so good it's mm-hmm. really hard to like pick cuz there's so much I like about all of them in so many different ways right um I'm going to go oh man I don't even know I really don't you don't it's hard um sp- Oh yeah,
1: you're gonna say it. you're gonna say Spirited Away. <laughs> I
3: don't want to though. That's the thing. You're I gone. I'm doing it. Spirited Away, uh, Porco Rosso, and then Ponyo. Wow,
1: that's interesting. That's just my knee jerk right now. I, I don't actually, think I I
3: don't think I stand by that. But that's I've, what I'm at. picked right
1: now. Ex- I I actually go the exact opposite. No way. Yeah, I'm gonna go Ponyo, Porco Rosso, Spirited Away. Oh my god. Yeah, weird. Yeah, uh, weird. I picked Ponyo number one mainly because of the animation. Um, Because that even though I like Porco Rosso better as a film, I think Ponyo does more as a film for what it's going for. And I've never had a film make me like, it 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 affects me in a way. It makes me like excited and happy. There aren't many films that like do that to me every time I watch it. Right. Um, And I, I love Porco Rosso. So like if I was going to pick between them, I'd probably watch Porco Rosso first. But I think that Ponyo is the best one. Right. I
3: want it to be known that the dividing line between the three of these for me is so fucking goddamn thin (laughs) that it's crazy. It's not even it's borderline not worth me ranking them in a particular order, because if we did this same episode like two months from now, rewatched all three of those films, I'd probably have it in a completely different order. Exactly. But they they all have so much great to them that so But that means we gotta flip a coin now. Alright, who's got a coin? Oh holy yeah. shit, that is a big there's a big cup of coins right here. So it seems like it's ready for this cave. Alright,
1: you call it in the air.
3: Alright, so what's the all right so Just
1: call it and if you call it then Oh yeah, you true. Alright. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Alright, let's go. Flipper ready? Tails.
1: Oh, it's Tails. Spirited Away is the winner. Oh,
3: man. I'm almost upset about that because I picked Ponyo. Yeah. So
1: that, like, I, well, I'm okay with it because I won the last two weeks. So Fair. Yeah, I'm due. I'm, I'm all good. With I'm due. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The slump's over, baby. <laughs> wait, no, you, yeah, no, wait. You picked. Wait, no, 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 no. It's Spirited Away won.
3: Yeah, so the group picked it. Oh, yeah, fuck. Yeah. yeah, you didn't. Smump's win. still going, Simps baby. Still go, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> um,
1: but I picked Ponyo, so there you go. That's a nod. Yeah, true. I'll take that. Yeah I'll, right take that. yeah, I'll take
3: that as a victory yeah. in itself, you know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I really botched that one.
1: Ah, it's all good.
3: <laughs> nah, it's just, hey, I went a shot from the hip.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was struggling. Right. We got a good one. Coming up though. We do, we do. So tell them about it because since this was the 29th episode, that means the next one's the 30th episode. And so finally, even though we tried to way back, I think it was episode 15 that never happened, um, we are going to be doing my movies better to the sequel, where we go back and we tackle a theme that we have not yet (laughs) re-tackled. So we're going to go back and do a theme we've already got done. It got tackled. It I stood it's up. Done. Yeah. We're about to tackle it again. So in the way we're going to do this is we're going to put a poll on the Facebook group and have you guys vote on the theme for next week. And it will be from all the, holy shit, 29 themes, including this one. But I have a feeling you guys aren't going to pick this one. Right. But I'm going to put in Miyazaki and anime. Any theme that we have done since episode one, since episode, any episode. We'll do them all. Any of them. Hell you yeah. pick them. <laughs> Stick we'll them. even do the movie yeah. Mania again. Yeah, so We'll like, do three more movies. About so like, if you, <laughs> haven't, if you haven't listened to those episodes, some that we have, we had, did Coming of Age. We did Dreams in Madness. Uh, we did Westerns, Cowboys and Outlaws. We did time travel. We've done a bunch of crazy themes. We've done a bunch of movies. Uh, we've never done dinosaur movies, but we could do that one day, but we're not doing that next week. So get we on the group Facebook.com slash my movies better. Rate and uh, review on iTunes. Yeah. Rate and review and subscribe and to all the listeners. Thank you for listening and have a great day. And you guys should check out Godzilla, the movie. It's great. Oh, fuck. I haven't seen it yet. It's so good. Oh, God. It's so
3: good. Well, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm going to go watch Godzilla in IMAX right now. (laughs) See you later. Bye. (laughs)